We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. I am Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Feeling just a little under the weather today, but um, thankfully I was pumping in uh, pills and potions into my body to try and get it ready for this this wonderful podcast that I am joined by, of course, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman today. After a long, wonderful, hopefully relaxing holiday break, uh, Fellas, how how are you doing today? DJ Wilson. <laughs> that's that's all that needs to be said. That's how we're all feeling today. Kyle, are you feeling was, um, the DJ Wilson vibes? No, I'm feeling that Giannis can't close out games. So it's a crying shame that that's not the case at the moment. <laughs> so that's such that's, an original take. That's uh, <laughs> that's so novel. God, I feel like yeah, I think that would um that would do really well on like a national stage. I think you should really bring that up. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll just like go on like get up and just maybe give like forty seconds and say that if you've watched the Bucks, then clearly you would know that Middleton and Bledsoe are the closers on the team. You should also have a video package queued up behind you where Giannis is making last second fourth quarter shots. Ooh, <laughs> good idea. And then like a couple days later, when everyone says I'm an idiot, I'll just double down on that take. You got, <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. Shout out, shout out Ryan Hollins for that take, uh, drawing much the ire of uh, pretty much every Bucks fan everywhere. That was a tough look for him. Uh, so he'll be, um, he's sort of a undesirable number one among Bucks fans right now. But, um, you know, at the very least for beyond that uh, initial stage of saltiness that a lot of us have had, it's been pretty good for the Bucks lately. They've been able to go on a winning streak here. They just beat the Nets this past weekend with a uh, another barrage of threes, 21 three-pointers, just about tapping on that 22 three-pointers, that franchise record that they hit earlier this year. Uh, it was a pretty dominating win from start to finish uh, featuring you know, a pretty dope Giannis performance in the fourth quarter uh, where he the Nets started tapping on the door and Giannis decided to just sort of close it out. Shout out Ryan Hollins. And uh, you ended up with 31 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, a delicious triple-double for all of our favorite Giannis. Uh, and I have enjoyed that we haven't had to do the Giannis triple-double watch. Remember when that first got started? It felt like literally every game he was at like, he would be at like eight points, three rebounds, four assists, and they would start the triple-double watch in that in like the second quarter. Did, any, did you guys get annoyed with that at all, or am I just being jaded? I think it might be being a little jaded. I do remember somebody, it might have been the Bucks themselves, like it, it, it was pretty early in his career. Um, they set up like a random Twitter account, like every time Giannis would check in. So that was a little, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that seemed a little over the top, but I don't know. It's so routine now that it's not even a big deal when he gets near a triple though it was like oh, he's probably going to get that and then it's just like how is he going to hunt these assists like it, that's the game is like how creatively can he feed dj wilson on this next three-pointer well speaking of dj wilson i think he's probably been the the most prominent storyline amongst bugs fandom these last couple of weeks his 
his rising from the uh, from the ashes or whatever the metaphor you want to use. I don't know if he was even. I don't know if he'd been burned down that far or not, but uh, he has come in and shown some competent play of late. He's he wouldn't, you know, the numbers aren't going to tell you anything amazing. He's only appeared in nine games so far this season, but that far surpasses in terms of minutes played. Far surpasses what he did last year. He's at 164 minutes so far this year. Only played in 71 last year, so more than doubled that already. And if you're looking at some of his shooting clips, 47.6 percent from three, and um, he's averaging you know, just about 2.3, he's averaging 2.3 three-point attempts per game um, in those relatively limited 18 minutes per game that he's at, 58.3 effective field goal percentage, which isn't too bad. His two-point shooting percentage is, is is not the best, only 48.1%. But, I mean, the fact that this guy is giving us really anything is a, a modern miracle. Kyle, what is this? How have you even tried to wrap your head around the fact that this guy has suddenly become a solid contributor to the team? I, I don't even know if I've seen a bigger turnaround in someone's image than DJ Wilson's. Like, he went from this guy was an interesting pick to this guy is terrible to this guy is still terrible. He's really terrible. And then when he got his option picked up, it was like, why are we doing this? this is just throwing money out the window. And now within like a what two weeks he's become a good rotation bench player which again i don't think i've ever seen a turnaround so quickly i mean eric bledsoe had his turnaround where he had went from bad playoff series to being the second best player in the team tony snell's seems to have gotten a better public image but dj wilson's it was like a whole different player came out of nowhere so i, I i'm just amazed at it just because i mean we probably would have said a month ago that this guy is not going to be an NBA player, not even a G League player. And now he, people are saying that he should be in a closing lineup with Brogdon, Bledsoe, Middleton, Indiana. So it, it's a fascinating turnaround, and I don't think I would have ever predicted it in the history of basketball. Riley, how did you how did you feel when you saw him uh, come in with uh, those delightful three pointers and and somehow blocking shots? Uh. I'm not sure if I felt as strongly as some people like uh, I agree with Kyle that Kyle that the turnaround is crazy. I'm not sure if uh, we can anoint him as the Bucks future Draymond Green. Um, I, I want to tamper or temper uh, expectations in that regard. But it's just strange because it, it seems like he's putting on a little bit. He's put on a little more weight since he did or since his rookie season. So that's helpful. He's got a big frame, obviously. Like Kyle said, when he was first picked you could like kind of rationalize like okay well he's like kind of a lengthy like he's just got like weird skills and like a weird body type and who knows how it will fit but i think really i'm not sure if it's a mentality thing but the fact that urson went down and dj's kind of come in and i'm not sure if he's like you could say he's fully replaced or replicated what urson urson could do but you're essentially getting a guy who's like a decade younger who can still at least so far hit the three um his rebounding numbers have been uh, pretty decent. He like grabs the rebounds in the weirdest way possible, which we can talk about, but um, he's got that going. And then we've seen multiple occasions, like as a one-on-one defender, at least for these past two weeks, he's shown flashes where he can at least contain guys of, you know, various sizes and speeds, whether or not he's, you know, 
as helpful within the team concept on defense as Ursan was, because I think Ursan, he was a weaker individual defender, but a better team defender. And there's still times where it seems like DJ kind of, I'm not sure it gets lost is the right way to put it, but he'll kind of like end up doubling a guy on accident or her, like he'll kind of lose track of who his guy is supposed to be or whatever the situation is. Um, so I think it's, it's just quite a coincidence that Ursan goes down. We have to fill these minutes and all of a sudden DJ comes out of nowhere and, I'm still not sure if he's the long-term answer, but it's definitely an interesting fold to the season and kind of seeing, you know, how Bud experiments and whether or not he he does unlock like Giannis at the five or if he is a closer or what the deal is. So it, it's been wild and who knows how long it'll last, but it's been welcome. Yeah, and I think one of the, I mean, one of the interesting things is that I think Ursan Ursan definitely had a really nice start to the season. His play was starting to, to taper off just a little bit before he got hurt and had that broken nose. Um, so I'm looking forward to Mask Ursan um, coming back at some point. But, uh, you know, at, at this point, it's like really what you're looking for out of that guy is to be able to hit threes, which is what Wilson is doing, and play decently competent defense. And it's weird because as you start to, like, see him play, like, actually competent, normal NBA basketball, some of the things that he was going to be able to do kind of started to make sense. Like, He's a guy who was a little bit shorter and then suddenly grew into his big body. And while he still looks kind of weirdly gangly as he's moving around the court, uh, he seems like the kind of guy who should be able to move, like move and shift his feet. Like all of the things that we were like, I'm not sure why he is so poor last year at. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, why is he able to suddenly sort of move his feet and contain defenders? There was that play against Miami, obviously. And I don't think my anyone on Miami is like a, you know, an amazing, amazing player that we should read too much into for him guarding them. But there was that play where he was able to guard all those defenders and work out and sort of hedge and get his hand up and and switch onto different players. And so some of those abilities that made sense when he was a guard and him being able to switch start to fill in as he looks like he's finding his way on the court, uh, especially as he's going to be taking spots at, at the big man slot. And the, the, the other thing though, is that he seems really, tentative to finish at the rim in particular he's if you look at cleaning the glass he's in the zero with uh, percentile among all bigs for field goal percentage at the rim he's only at 47 percent, and you can tell that he's he's just really not comfortable down there yet uh he hasn't drawn too many fouls he sort of looks to pass it out um, there's that play against the nets where he was down there and he saw some nets defenders barreling down on him and he looked around and found someone on the perimeter which is good that's a good look for him but you'd hope he'd be able to bulk up a guy who's 6'10 with a 7'3 wingspan uh, you'd hope he'd be able to feel confident going up and uh, at the rim and eventually be able to do that particularly with a guy who when you watched him last year it was sort of weird how he would in the preseason he would just sort of use his ball skills and be dribbling around and maybe pull up for like a mid-range jumper or pull up for different different shots. He wouldn't be doing as much of the rolling and catching, but he's looked decent in in that regard when he's been rolling to the rim. So, uh, Kyle, what what has maybe impressed you more? Is it how he's fit in offensively or defensively? I I would say defensively. I don't know if this would fall under the category of defense, but his rebounding I think is the biggest turnaround that we've seen you know this was a guy who jason kidd openly said is not a good rebounder and you know he had seven rebounds last night 10 on thursday like he's been consistently grabbing rebounds and i think that's something that nobody would have expected i think his defense has been pretty good I and mean, that was something that maybe he would have been solid at when he was drafted but i think that turnaround just from being the guy that you know was don asking not being able to rebound to 
you know, he's boxing guys out and he's grabbing them. It's a good turnaround. I think that's the most surprising aspect to me. Yeah, and I know, Riley, you have strong feelings about his rebounding. It's just the strangest thing ever. I'm not sure in the past two weeks we've seen him grab like a traditional rebound just out of the air. Like he'll either he'll wait till the ball hits the floor and then he traps it on the floor before gathering and giving off to somebody else. Or he'll like as he's in the air contort into an L or like an N shape and then grab the rebound. Like he he's afraid to touch the ball. So he's it's still like he's still really <laughs> weird when it comes to contact, even with the ball. Um but I think kind of falling off of the defensive versus offensive, you know, what's more impressive. Um, I would agree that the defense, just because I'm not sure what we all expected from him there, um, has been more impressive. But I think one of the positives with Bud's system and how it emphasizes threes for everybody, like five-out system essentially, um, he's not asked to have to bang down low, which is helpful because he's not great down there. And I still think, I wouldn't say he's soft, quote-unquote, but I'm not sure if he ever actively looks for contact, really. Like even watching him try to box out guys for um, – defensive rebounds he, he kind of waits till the last second like throws a shoulder into the guy but he's not great at like positioning guys to get the rebound essentially or to box him out properly um but the fact that bud's office doesn't ask for you to go down low all that often it kind of asks like hey just go sit on the corner over there and shoot threes and that he's he's done that wonderfully so far and you know how long that keeps up we'll see but i'd say on both ends he's been impressive and the offensive end is probably not nearly as impressive just because his skill set and what he's naturally good at kind of fits with what Bud is sort of looking for. Yeah. And I think the, I mean, I, th- I think the defensive end is more important in the long run because it feels like, it feels like you could probably find a lot of people that could do what Bud is sort of expecting as long as you can just slot up around the three point arc, hit stuff at a decent clip uh, and, you know, occasionally roll when you're, when you're asked to and, and, catch the ball which is which is why i mean thonmaker who has been he's been okay i mean he's played okay basketball but he also was a borderline unplayable for some parts of the last two seasons but this year he's looked okay in bud's offensive system uh so i I think the defensive ability if dj wilson is able to continue to do that and be able to switch around and granted i mean the thing is that bud hasn't really shown a propensity for switching but if 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 chris if uh, excuse me if dj is able to just fit within the system and start to feel his way around uh, whether that's as a, as a help defender or just guarding if he's able to guard the big guy and let Giannis continue to just like he did against Blake Griffin if he's able to let Giannis then work as the help side defender and come over and give him uh, support when needed I mean Giannis has the athleticism to make those kind of plays where he could come over and block a Blake Griffin shot or just come over and, and show and then get back to his defender in the his often offensive player in the corner so I think if DJ Wilson is able to do that it should be uh, a really promising development for this team. And I, th- I think the interesting thing when you're thinking about the long-term building of this team is you start to look at some of the lineups that they were throwing out there. And I know they were, they were some people on Twitter were pointing out that lineup with, it was like George Hill, DJ Wilson, uh, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Sterling Brown. Um, and I think, I think it might've been found maker, but anyway, it was like all of these players that we've basically just drafted from the last couple of drafts, plus George Hill. And you could envision a, a world where Dante DiVincenzo might take George Hill's spot. So basically you're running with these people that you've only had from the last two drafts when for the last couple of years, some of us have thought oh, some of these guys are just sort of lost causes that aren't going to be beneficial at all. And that's where the bucks have kind of blown it in terms of getting some depth that be able to fill in around these guys with with cheaper contracts so Riley how important do you think it is that we're finally seeing some some lineups and and 
development from these players that we thought might be lost causes at this point. Well, it's got to be gigantic, right? Because it's it's not only like okay we're missing on these guys that's kind of a downer but also like with the pressure of you know we've we've got a tough cap situation coming up we have to like sort of compete now to keep Giannis happy essentially like it is it's the always the issue of trying to serve two masters essentially and it seemed as if uh John Horst and um you know company were kind of struggling to at least keep the cheap guys or keep reloading with like young cheap guys and so to see all these guys to varying degrees kind of step up and, you know, at least get minutes and not be total complete disasters, I think it's probably too optimistic to be like, okay, well now we've got, you know, these guys are going to step up throughout the season and by the playoffs, we're going to be able to rely on them for, you know, regular minutes. But if it's not this season, then maybe next season, another year of kind of seasoning, kind of getting a feel for it. Um, I think it's huge and it's, gives John Horace and it gives the team a lot of flexibility to kind of a lot of room for error, I would say in terms of addressing, like, who do we pay? Who do we bring in? And like, you don't have to worry. Okay. Well position or whatever, like bench slots, 10 through 15 are a total loss cause. Cause those are, those are all our draft picks that haven't worked out. So um, I'm not sure if we can say like any of the guys have really proven themselves to be like, okay, he's a reliable guy that he's going to be this for, you know, a couple seasons to come, but um, just to like, St- relieve the pressure of the fact that we thought that a lot of these guys were failures or we weren't sure what they were going to be too. Okay. You can kind of squint and see a future where these guys can contribute long-term and be alongside the rest of the team and, you know, push you instead of kind of hamstringing yourself in the playoffs, especially, I think that's a positive development. Yeah. And I think one of the, I mean, one of the interesting things that we'll have to suss out as the season goes along and we may not have an answer until the playoffs is, uh, Kyle, you've you've talked before about if this is DJ Wilson's emergence, then maybe some of these other players' improvements. Is this just sort of a, a black mark on kid, which I think people are pretty quick to just move to that side of the argument because uh, it's easier and more fun, um, or praise for Budenholzer and his both his development uh, and his coaching staff's ability to develop players, or maybe it's just Budenholzer's system is able to fit players into it, uh, and you don't need to have quite as many skills to to work within it uh so how do you sort of suss suss that piece of this dj wilson emergence and maybe these other players uh improvements into that kyle i i was because at first i was thinking maybe it was kid but it's not like we saw in two summer leagues and it's into the g league last year like he didn't show that he was someone you can bring into an nba team and have him come off the bench like that was never any evidence of it so I guess that's the one facet I would defend Kid on is that it's not like DJ Wilson showed us. Anything. It wasn't like Sterling Brown last year was like this guy has talent and he can contribute in the NBA and Kid's just refusing. Like DJ Wilson just didn't show that. So I think it's more showing that Budenholzer's staff can really, you know, it can really like develop players. And I know he keeps saying that the difference is he's healthy and he's healthy and he's healthy, but I, I can't fully buy into that because it's one thing if you're healthy, which helps, but it's another thing. This looks like a completely different player. This looks like a guy that, you know, this looked like the guy that you saw at Michigan. So I think it's more of a testament to Budenholzer's staff and their ability to, you know, develop players. I know that it was normally wing guys, but the fact that it's happening with a bigger man, I guess, quote unquote, big guy, I think that's the more positive development. Yeah, and I think I mean I think it's also instructive to think yeah yeah DJ Wilson is an older player so you would expect him to come in 
and be more complete. But he really didn't play that much at Michigan. So he was kind of unique in that respect is that he didn't really emerge until later on in his time in Michigan, which also is the reason where I wasn't super excited about the draft pick because he doesn't have, you know, he wouldn't really have the sort of physical upside that you would expect from someone who is younger. So he didn't really start to emerge until later on at Michigan. So may have required a little more patience than we would have liked from a, a 22, 23 year old draft pick. Uh, and and that first year certainly didn't do him any favors when he couldn't even get on the court. And I mean, we saw Jason Kidd was willing to play his draft picks an incredible amount of minutes. I mean, he played Rashad Vaughn. Granted, you know, there's a lot of speculation how maybe he was the guy who was moving the the puppet puppet master behind the Rashad Vaughn pick anyway. But I mean, he played that guy like a th- I think it was like a thousand minutes his rookie season, and Rashad Vaughn stunk that whole freaking year. Uh, so I mean, Jason Kidd wasn't one who was if you were kind of had some potential or wanted were able to show something, he was going to throw you in the deep end, which made it all the weirder that DJ Wilson couldn't even get minutes when Mirza Toledovic was out basically the entire season. So that was really odd. But I, I think the the fact that DJ Wilson now has, has been able to show something and maybe it's just a, a sign that we just have to be a, sometimes a little more patient with, with these players than we would like to be, even if it is someone who's 22 or 23 years old. Yeah, and just kind of talking about the younger guys in general um, and the difference of Kid versus um, Bud and how they approach the younger guys, I would say. Um, and it's kind of tough to vet, uh, measure because last year was the first year that the herd were an actual organization. But like we've seen a lot of the young guys go down and at least feature in a couple of games and then come back up. And the two main examples so far have been DJ and Sterling, how, you know, they were sent down and I think they were both sent down last season, but it kind of felt like, okay, well, we don't really know what to do with these guys. So we'll just put them down there for like a couple games and then, you know, that'll be it. But these two guys, they went down, played a couple games with the herd and then came back up and immediately, whether it be injury or just, you know, rewarding them for like keeping consistent and keeping whatever, whatever it is that Bud's looking for. He gave them minutes. Now they're both, you know, solid parts of the rotation. So I think that's also positive in that there seems to be a direction or at least a purpose to like, okay, we're going to use this minor league team like Dante and Christian Wood are down there. So you guys are going to get minutes down there, stay ready, et cetera. And, you know, if an opportunity comes, then we'll slot you back in. But it's not like you're consigning them to the scrap heap by going down in the G League. So I think that might also be helpful. And again, is that, Bud's coaching staff and just the fact that they have more structure to it. There's more familiarity with what it means to have a G League team. So I think that's an interesting um, kind of fold on the season as well as like, how does this play out and how does this play out in years to come with a lot of the draft picks as they come in? Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously one of the guys who hasn't really gotten the chance to play on the NBA level is, is, is Christian Wood, who's been putting up man, like monster, monster, numbers in the G League. I think he's like second in points per game, um, pretty high in rebounds per game as well. I think top 10. Uh, so, I mean, Kyle, and he's he's been pretty vocal about, uh, I, I think, I don't even know if it's subtle anymore that we can say he's pointed out, he's sent out some tweets and like Instagram posts about how he would like, basically wants to get his chance on, uh, on the big league level. So, I mean, what what's your sort of read on the, on the situation at this point, given that, you know, DJ Wilson is starting to emerge and sort of slurp up what would presumably be Christian Wood's chance at, at regular rotation minutes with the Bucks. So how, how do you sort of uh, take that that situation with Christian Wood putting up massive minutes right now? Well, I think a lot of it is because when he's with the herd, he is the guy. Like, he's their best player. He is the one that's doing all the work. He's pretty much what Giannis is to the Bucks. Like, he is that good of a player with the herd, and the only other player that's even close in comparison 
is James Young. But I think a lot of the things that Christian Wood does in the herd is, you know, he gets his own shot. He goes in, he gets his buckets any way, shape, or form. He's grabbing the rebounds, which when he's playing with the Bucs, that's not going to be the case. Like, he's probably going to be the fourth or fifth option on an offense. He's not going to be able to just take the ball, take someone to the rim, you know, or do a post-up. Like, it's not going to work. So I think just his style of play is going to be a hindrance. And then you kind of look at, yeah, DJ Wilson and Thon Maker were the two players ahead of him that in terms of his playing time, and as we talked about, DJ Wilson has proven he deserves minutes, and Thon in the last month has shown that he should at least be given the chance. Like, yeah, Thon's not setting the world on fire, but, you know, he's still been a fairly decent option in the last month. So unless... I, it's kind of tough to see where you're going to get minutes for Christian Wood because of the position he plays. Like Giannis is going to play, you know, 30 something minutes a game. And then with when Ursan's back, he's probably going to get, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. And DJ Wilson's going to get 15 to 20 minutes. And Don's also like all these guys are going to get 15 to 20 minutes. And there's really not much for Christian Wood to play. Um, so I guess that's like the tough part is who, whose playing time gets reduced just so he can try and squeeze Christian Wood in. And I don't think it's fair to Thon or Dietrich Wilson that they should lose playing time at the expense of Wood just because he's been crushing in the G League as the number one option. And in terms of his posts, I, I don't know if it's the best idea. I get the frustration. I get the annoyance. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know what more he can do besides you know, sadly wish it, something happens to Thon or DJ in terms of injury, just really bad play. And if I, if I can kind of just follow up on that, I mean, you know, I understand where he's coming from because he made it a point where it's like, okay, if I'm coming back, I, I'm not looking for another year in the G League. If I can avoid that, it's like either I'm going to find a spot on an NBA roster somewhere or I'm going abroad. And the fact that he's back down in the G League again for a third year, I get that he's frustrated, but, um, you know, the, I'm not sure exactly what he expected. You know, I mean, he signed a two-year non-guaranteed contract. He's like, the Bucks have a lot more. And you can argue how much like of a stake they have in Thon working out. I mean, but I would still say overall, they have more wrapped up in like Thon becoming something than Christian Wood just because of his contract and his kind of tenuous roster situation. So um, <clears throat> as Kyle was saying, I get, the frustration but just given the circumstance and like just just who you are where you've been you've been in the g league these past years and you're a good g league player but you know it, it, it's just it's a tough situation i wish he wouldn't actively tweet and retweet bucks official twitter tweets and be like <laughs> oh just watch or like like so i that's that's a little discouraging, but I, again, I get it, and hopefully the team's kind of able to overlook it, and hopefully he's able to kind of get back on track. Like, just keep feasting on dudes, you know? You're, you're getting paid regardless. Like, you're stuck on this two-year contract. Like, sure, it would be great if you could prove yourself these this season and next and get a massive contract, but I'm not sure how realistic that is. So, anyways, um, weird situation. I'm sure he'll get minutes eventually. It's a long season. Yeah, I, I think in general, probably not a great idea to retweet or, or um subtweet basically your employer i don't I have, i've tried not to do that very much at my own job i think that would be a um a smart just professional choice for christian wood and then the other thing i would i mean the other thing i would say is that i think you're right riley they do have, they do have a lot more invested in thon maker uh but i mean the other thing they could be trying to do is thon maker had his option picked up you know and if 
honestly, he probably, he might have a little more trade value or if they're trying to get rid of Thon at all. I mean, this is like their chance to try and show him off. Who knows if they want to try and get rid of him, but that'd be more money that they would get rid of. And then Christian Wood has a really small contract if they think he'd be able to come in and fill in Thon Maker's spot minutes for next year or whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I think of it in that way. I don't, I don't feel like Christian Wood would have even have that much trade value uh, if, if, if he was playing and granted he wouldn't even get that many minutes and he might, he honestly might have more potential value just like putting up monster minutes in the G league. And then people being like, Oh, I don't know. He's kind of an unknown in the NBA who knows what potential he could have. So, you know, I don't really know how to work out those two sides of it either, but I think, um, I think for now, if he keeps putting up the minutes, it, it seems like eventually, hopefully he'll get rewarded. And I mean, the bucks have been pretty blessed by not much, not many injuries so far this season. So I mean, they've been able to have the whole same starting five all season long. So I, I think uh, we should feel pretty fortunate in that respect. And they're, you know, they're one big man injury away from, from Christian Wood potentially getting minutes. I mean, the only time I'd really be concerned is if is if Jason Smith starts to get like regular rotation minutes, I'd be like, well, that's, that doesn't really make sense why he's playing over Christian Wood. But um, all right. So the, the other thing I wanted to talk about just in, in, in terms of the, the DJ Wilson playing and all of these sort of these bench units we've been talking about uh, and these ones, I don't know how much play they'll have come the postseason. That's sort of the specter that hangs over a lot of these discussions is we don't know exactly how all this is going to translate to the postseason. We know the, the stars will probably get more minutes then, but uh, I was looking at some of the lineups uh that that bud was using and i've always been noticing that he's been going a lot to these these brogdon plus bench units to close out some quarters and so i was using i was looking at nba wowie and i'll just run through some of these numbers with you guys so i looked at uh Giannis plus the bench units uh has 44 minutes played 101 offensive rating which is pretty low especially compared to what the the bucks current rating is but a, a incredibly stingy probably unsustainable 81.4 defensive rating that would be blowing away the best one in the league chris middleton plus bench units only have like 31 minutes with a 105.5 offensive rating 108.6 defensive rating bledsoe plus bench units 37 minutes with a 94 offensive rating 124.1 defensive rating yikes but then the the one in the lead by far is this Brogdon plus bench units, which has played 90 minutes so far. And basically to, to determine this, I basically did um, each of these players without the other three on the court. So it would be basically Brogdon plus Brogdon minus Giannis, Chris and Bledsoe. So Brooke Lopez might be out there, but I think, I don't know. I think it was more instructive to just look at how these guys are because they're going to clearly be the ones leading those lineups. So Brogdon plus bench units have played 90 minutes with a 112.9 offensive rating and a 112.9 defensive rating. So basically even in 90 minutes of Brogdon plus bench units, which surprised me. What, I, I, Riley, wouldn't you say that seems like a, a relative success that you're able to stay even in those minutes? Yeah, I would say so. Um, it's it's kind of weird because like we, we've talked about this this season and seasons passes like what what is the best way to use Brogdon like is he most effective as like leading the bench units and I guess you know if if you were looking at that argument kind of looking at these stats and kind of other stats and just the way he plays it would seem to confirm like okay it it's you can get by if Brogdon is out there kind of leading the bench unit so I think what it is is really a testament to like confirming what everybody kind of feels is like, well, I'm not sure if he fits nearly as well with all the other starters just because of his style of playing the way that he can kind of sort of dominate the ball a little bit. Um, so it, it is a surprise, but a positive one insofar as it proves us all as basketball savants. <laughs> uh, I mean, Kyle, do, what do you think? Do you think there's any of those 
any of those players that should be getting more time in that run. I guess one guy that maybe stood out is maybe Chris Middleton potentially being a guy who could who could run with those units more. I guess it would depend on like what kind of lineup you're throwing out there with Chris, because I would assume Chris plus the bench is George Hill, you know, Sterling Brown himself, maybe Tony Snell also, and then like DJ and Don. And that's a weird lineup that I'm kind of a little bit too conservative to force Chris into going down the tough shot express. So maybe I'm that one. I'm not sure. I'm kind of curious on the Bloodstone bench, like why that isn't as successful. Just because I'm assuming like there's still shooters on the perimeter. Like I'm just I would guess like Tony Snell and Sterling Brown and Vaughn are out there with him. So it's like the fact that offensively it's so poor. It's a little yeah, that one I think I would want to see more of is Bloodstone the bench, just because I don't know like if it's because of the short minutes that it has such a poor rating. I don't know when these like I don't know when that lineup has been used. Maybe it was just on a rough stretch where the Bucks could hit a shot to save their life. But I would say the Bloodstone bench unit, just because I want to see what would prevent it from being better. Yeah, I was intrigued by that one, too. I was kind of surprised. And I mean, it's 37 minutes. So you're right. There could have just been like one or two stretches where the other team was on fire and they were just missing shots. But I mean, it it, it makes sense. I think there's there's probably clearly a, a fear that Chris Middleton can't really drive to the basket like the other three, which I think is proven out by his his driving numbers. And so he'll just sort of end up pulling up for mid-rangers or pulling up from threes, which certainly wouldn't be the way to get him out of this slump uh, that he was in of late. But yeah, the Bledsoe plus bench units is, is interesting. I thought, I think maybe because uh, teams perhaps don't respect him as much as a shooter, maybe that's that's one thing. Um, you know, maybe maybe the guys just aren't, aren't hitting at that time when he's able to dish it out to them from, on the perimeter. But I think what you were getting at, Riley, is the thing that I thought was was made the most sense is that Brogdon plus the bench units. I mean, Brogdon is a guy who likes to pound the ball. He likes to be able to take it to the rim. He's really improved improved his rim finishing this year. He's just as a he is just a weirdly savvy finisher. He's really good at using his offhand to try and deflect a defender and, and whip the ball up before they're able to get up there. Uh, it, despite the fact that he doesn't have incredible athleticism or uh, impressive verticality, so I don't feel like we've seen a lot of the like amazing uh, reverse dunks like he used to have or like dunk against LeBron James that he had a couple of years ago, but his ability to just sort of whip the ball up before they seem to be expecting it or uh, use his offhand as a, as a, as a, basically as a, a shield against the defender has been really impressive so far. So it'll be curious to see whether that's something that they go to in the playoffs though. I wonder when, uh, you know, if I, I, I'm really curious to see what sort of rotations Bud brings out then if he's, really willing to go to those minutes because those were some of those, there were some of those times where you would have a tough bench unit out there and you know, Princey would throw something out there. And then the Celtics might go on like an 11 0 run in, in two minutes. And those are the minutes that would just destroy the bucks. But, but at least so far, Brogdon's been able to keep it even and allow some of the stars to rest. Yeah. I think that's <clears throat> probably the, the biggest thing is the fact that um, just the fact that he's able to kind of keep things stable Whereas in past years, and you know, I'd have to go back and look at what kind of lineups were out there with Brogdon, but I think it's a testament to probably more so Bud's system, I guess, and the fact that it's so consistent no matter what the lineup is. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's also a credit to how I, I have, you know, to be honest, is it do we have more talent? I mean, how many guys did we add that? Are really like shifting the lineups, especially the bench units. Those are kind of similar from last season as well. So, I think it, it there's a whole bunch of different factors, but 
whether or not that lasts into the playoffs where the lineups end up tightening up and, you know, are we going to see like an experiment? Is Bud going to also throw Tony Snell out there? Like is tradition for every single year where Tony Snell gets like a 20 game stretch of being a part of the stars to see like, okay, is Brogdon best, like just being like the six man or whatever. So I, I don't know which ways it'll go, but it'll be uh, fascinating to see if Brogdon gets relegated to the bench, but like as the six man, does he retain his value there or what the deal is? So that that's another question that has to be answered. Yeah, I think it's actually an interesting question because I don't I don't feel like Bud I've, Bud has definitely messed around with sort of the wing rotation, but he hasn't really like played around a lot with he obviously hasn't played around a lot around with the starters. I mean, he's basically had the same ones whenever they've been healthy, um, if possible, th- throughout throughout this season. So I I think that's a really interesting subplot to see if he wants to try and play around if he feels like there's something that he needs to test out for the playoffs and see if that might work better, but. Thus far, he seems like a guy who's pretty stringently stuck to this is what's working. We're going to stick with this. And this is my system. We're going to stick with this for now. So uh, is there any other sort of permutation you'd like to see tested out like that, Kyle, to uh, try and prep for any potential playoff opponents? I am not going to make any comment on Brogdon lineups or Brogdon, or <laughs> I'm going to be some tweeted and some played apparently. So that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to refrain from now. Yeah, that's a good okay. That's a good point. Yep. It's uh all right. We'll we'll just let that one go. So let's move on to <laughs> um, the uh, standard segment, which might be a little. Uh, it's a little less exciting because he hasn't gotten nearly as much play in the big leagues, but uh, let's do at least a mini version of Dante's Inferno. This power, Dante. We can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player. All right. The G League edition. (laughs) The G League edition. Mm. I don't know what you're saying. This is still exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I guess actually he has more minutes and more stuff to to take from. So I haven't watched a lot of his highlights in the G League. But one play I did see, and I feel like he's done this before in the NCAA too. But he has the he uses his his incredible hops to get up, and he does the does the two handed. two-handed two hands up block basically the volleyball block that miles Plumley used to do that i i feel like we haven't seen a lot of uh bucks players do in a long time but i saw him have have one of those in one of those g league games and uh i enjoyed that i like thinking that miles Plumley, as abhorrent as his contract was uh and as beautiful as his toothbrush holder was going to be i like thinking that his his spirit is still living on through dante divincenzo just jumping up and doing the weird volleyball block at the rim kyle do you have something Oh, I have something. I, I definitely <laughs> have something. <laughs> so Dante Stinson, the G League. I mean, it's been good because he hasn't got much playtime with the Bucks, which is understandable considering Sterling Brown and Tony Sell have been playing really well and have deserved it. And Dante, he hasn't gotten a shot yet. Keyword is yet. But Friday night when the Herd were playing, he had 17 points, six rebounds, three assists. And looked fantastic in those ugly sweater jerseys. Shout out to the Wisconsin Herd. Those jerseys were beautiful. And if it wasn't a minimum 150 bid for an auction, I would have bought one already. <laughs> um, but I think it's just like getting him playtime, just getting him reps. He During the G League Showcase, him and Christian Wood got sent down, and they were the two best players. Um, he averaged like 17.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.5 blocks and steals. So still able to 
do pretty much do stuff and fill up the box score, which is a promising sign. So, I mean, at some point he's probably going to get another chance on the Bucks rotation. It's just that it's kind of tough when, you know, the players ahead of you are playing really well, but he's still able to do stuff. And I think just him getting more reps is going to be beneficial for not only himself, but for the Bucks, you know, later in the playoffs when they might need some depth or even next year. I like how he, I, I think it's promising that he moved from the big ragu to hashtag do stuff. Like, you know, that's probably <laughs> the biggest win for a rookie that I could imagine to make that kind of upgrade. No, just, I haven't watched a ton of it either because who watches a lot of Wisconsin herd games? Sorry, Wisconsin herd fans who are tuning in. Um, but I watched a little bit of the G league showcase, um, which I think was earlier this week or maybe it was late last week. I can't remember, but it seemed like he was still kind of, he was he was dominant within the offense, and I think his like usage rate was like twenty six percent or something like that. So he was clearly like when he was out there, okay, a lot of the stuff's gonna go through Dante. And there was a number of possessions where it was like, okay, here's a pass out on just like right above the break for a three, and he had you know no problems taking it. He didn't make a lot of them, but I think what it's essentially been is like what he showed in his time with the Bucks, and now it's just kind of more so. Now that there's nobody else. Now that he's not trying to like fit in as like the fourth or fifth banana on offense. And unfortunately, he's yet to like really dominate or really find a shot or anything like that. I think his turnover percentage was like 25%. So the Dante as a uh, point guard is probably not coming anytime soon. It, I'm not sure really what to make of it. But like I was saying earlier, the fact that we've seen guys go down to the G League, um, at least stay ready and then come back up and then get inserted into lineup. Um, I think that's promising that we'll definitely see Dante again at some point this season, but you know, who knows what to expect once he comes back. Yeah. I think the most important thing for him is just trying to see if he can get that shot ironed out. I mean, I mean, obviously he, we love that he hashtag does stuff, but uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just most important for him to be able to get that, see if his shot can land consistently from deep. And uh, once, once that starts to happen, I feel like, you know, I mean, the, that'll turn him into a far more uh, valuable player obviously. Uh, so I, I think the other thing that I just wanted to touch on was the fact that the Bucks played on Christmas day uh, for the first time in 41 years. And I didn't think, I just personally didn't, I, I was just hanging out for Christmas, whatever out in Philly. And I really didn't think it would feel that special, but it kind of, it just kind of felt pretty cool <laughs> to have the Bucks play that day. I don't know. It felt cooler than I thought it was going to be uh, to have them like suiting up to be the first game that day on Christmas. Uh, Kyle, what, what did, did it feel pretty cool to you to see the, the Bucks out there on Christmas day, the biggest marquee day for the NBA? It, it did just because like I forced my parents to somewhat adjust their schedule around the Bucks playing. Like, uh, <laughs> like we need, we need to eat breakfast and open gifts before 11. Cause once 11 o'clock happens, I'm watching this game. And I think it's just kind of cool knowing that, you know, most of the time when there's a team that plays on Christmas, it's a marquee team or just the New York Knicks who have a large market, but, you know, they don't deserve it. Would have rather seen Toronto or Indiana, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, but it was just nice to see, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks playing on Christmas and then to have those jerseys go with it. It, was just, it just felt right. Like, it feels like when you're playing on Christmas, like I said, you're one of the premier teams, and I think the Bucks are that premier team. And just the fact that you know, you have the chance to watch it on Christmas and everyone's watching it because it's the, and the NBA was the only sport. So it's kind of nice just for people to see what this team is. And like I said, just waking up and knowing that on Christmas day, your team is the one that's going to be 
playing. It's it, it was a really cool feeling for me. I think it was a surreal feeling as I was sitting on the couch watching it, just because it's like it's Christmas and the Bucks are playing, and those things never really go hand in hand. Yeah, Riley, was this the best Christmas gift you've ever received? Riley, the suspense is killing me. I'm re- <laughs> I can't wait to find out what Riley's favorite gift ever is. Well, in the meantime, Adam, do yeah. you was that? Wait, you said you didn't watch the game, right? I, yeah, I watched. Yeah, so I, yeah, so I woke up. I was just kind of. I was. I was alone out here. Um, my fiance had to had to work that day, so I was really. I don't know. I was actually getting pretty hyped for it, and it was really cool. Like you said, to know that everyone's watching it. Like just to see all of the, the national, like even all the national people that I follow on Twitter just are all tweeting about the the game that day. It just made me really. Uh, it just made me really excited to see them do. Like everyone tweeting about the Bucks, everyone talking about the Bucks. The one quibble I will have uh, is the fact that I hated the promo that ESPN did, which showed um, the the like Christmas lights in the front lawn, which was cool. But then it also had Tim Hardaway Jr. like crossing over to get by Giannis, which was like I don't know why that is something that would ever be. Uh, <laughs> Uh, even happening, especially after Giannis destroyed him with the dunk over him. I kind of wish they would have gone with that as the Christmas light instead. Yeah, I, I think it was also weird that um, I did like the one with the V digs with his rapping. I think that was a really, yeah, that was that a was better. Cool. So that was a pretty that one I enjoyed at least, just because it felt. And I'm a big Hamilton fan, so like seeing that just it kind of reminded me of Hamilton a little bit. <laughs> well, then selfishly, I was like, "Oh wow, people they're they're making him the Bucks fan. That's really cool." And then I didn't realize that they were going to do it for all the other teams. So I just yeah, I, I didn't realize that also <laughs> until the Sixers um, Celtics game came on. I was like, "Wait, wait, what the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was disappointing. Uh, but that's you know what, that's okay. That's what. You know, just getting the bucks on Christmas Day, like you said, was really cool. And I like that you got to your family to change around their schedule for it to to watch the bucks. And hopefully that'll be like something that I, I mean, for the foreseeable future, I, I highly doubt that the bucks won't be will they'll probably be playing on Christmas Day for as long as Giannis is on the team. Yeah, I feel like maybe next year I, I could see if Toronto keeps Kawhi, I could see a you know, Christmas game. Yeah, and that could be one. And depending on how Indiana does, I think they would have a legitimate shot. I'm just trying to think of like other teams that could theoretically get a Christmas Day game. And it seems, I think Toronto and Indiana are like the top two that come to my head. Yeah, you're being nice. I don't. Indiana should not get a Christmas Day game that over the Bucks. The Bucks are way way more exciting. Oh Everyone no, they shouldn't get it down. over the Bucks. But it would be fine if Indiana came to most that deal. Okay, yeah, I would watch that because you you were right. I think we were talking about this before the pod. The 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 first half of that game was awful, bad. It's really tough to watch. Which I, I mean, what what are you going to expect from like a, a a noon Eastern tip? Yeah, that was it. Was a struggle in the first half, and then the third quarter wasn't that much better. But the nice thing was the Bucks could miss seventeen threes, and they were still up like ten to fifteen. I was like, okay, this game is still pretty <laughs> secure, despite the terrible terrible shooting that was and it was i was kind of laughing because i put a poll on brew of like will the bucks miss 27 threes i think as soon as i tweeted that they had a three right after i was like okay good <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh we 
it seems like we might be rejoined. Riley, was the Bucks on Christmas the greatest gift you've ever received? All right. Well, we'll never hear. (laughs) Wait, hold on, hold on. I think I'm back. I think I'm back. Hold on, hold on. So as I was saying, Christmas game day. (laughs) Folks, do not go with Xfinity. That's all I'm going to say about that. Xfinity, you cannot give me a sponsorship. No, no, Riley, don't don't hurt potential sponsors. I mean, I love Xfinity and their Wi-Fi capabilities are so (laughs) consistent and definitely awesome for podcasting. Welcome Uh, to Monopolies. So, anyways, what were we talking about? Talk about Chris Middleton. Talking about Christmas. What are we talking about? Yeah, we can. You know, we, I was just trying to figure out what the best Christmas gift you ever received was, but I guess um, you've had some sad Christmases because you kept just dropping out every time I tried to ask you. So, um, <laughs> well, that's okay. I tried to hit you with the 2019 Bucks calendar. So, in case anybody was sitting on pins and needles, what the greatest gift of all time? Was, <laughs> that was probably it. So, uh, the Christmas game day was uh, was probably number two though to that. Okay. All right. Good. Well, you you were talking about Chris Middleton though, and I think we should just touch briefly on the fact that he's he seemed to be emerging from this. But one of the other big storylines from this past month or so has been his his prolonged slump. Um, so, it, and obviously, you know, Christmas Day he had a pretty rough day again with just six points. So, Riley, what what do you sort of make of 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 what he's been going what he's been going through on the court? It's a. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of it because. the thing that threw everybody off is the fact that he was so hot to start the season. And we're so used to him, like taking two months to really kind of get into it. And then like by January, he's really in full flow and then he's good to go from there on out. So I think what disoriented everybody was the fact that he was so crazy starting the year. And then he had this drop off for like, I'm not sure if it went for like a full month, but for a while, like it was a little concerning. And so I'm not really sure if there's anything long-term to take from it. I mean, these past two games, he's had, you know, 24, I think 24 plus points in both games, maybe a little bit less. I can't remember, but he seems to have kind of come back within himself and it'll just be seeing, you know, it seems like he's gotten back to his old ways by shooting a lot of mid rangers And I know a lot of people were agonizing over that, which is understandable, but now that he seems to kind of return to form, is he going to back back out to the three point line and kind of do what, led him to have such a crazy start to the season or is it going to be a couple more weeks of him you know mid-ranging and like kind of driving every once in a while and you know taking shots that not everybody loves just to feel more comfortable and get in the groove and then see where it goes from there but i'm not too concerned about it long term the one thing is i would love to see a poll for least liked person chris middleton versus ryan hollins uh it kind of <laughs> feels like on uh <laughs> feels like on bucks twitter that it would be a closer poll than we would all like. So that's uh, an interesting development. I disagree. Development, but... Ryan Hollins would run away with it. <laughs> this has got to be like 10% because there's a lot of Middleton haters out there, which is fine. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. All right. Well, Kyle, we, <laughs> please, probably don't put up that poll. But I would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Are you sure? You, though, on the Brew Hoop Twitter. Um, what, uh, you know, what have you thought of, of, of Chris Middleton's? maybe breaking out of this slump. I mean, it feels like this is, I mean, he even acknowledged this in that interview with, I think Eric name asked him the question, but I mean, he even, he even acknowledged, he's like, I, yeah, Bucks fans are used to this. I usually go through like a slump like this a year. True. I, I don't know. It's like weird because it's one thing when I think with his past slumps, it's been like only, it, it doesn't feel like it's been a month. It's maybe just seemed like it because there'd always be like two out of three mm-hmm. while up until Thursday, it was every single game. He was struggling. He couldn't hit a shot. And I don't, and I don't know how much of that was the injured finger or whatever other injuries he's had, but I think, and I keep thinking like he's a good enough player that he can get out of the slump. And I, 
and I still believe that. I think it doesn't help that the slump gets magnified because this team is doing so so well, and it's like, okay, this is the one flaw that they have is Chris Middleton is slumping severely. And with this slump, everyone's now asking, should we pay – how much should we pay Chris Middleton if we should pay him at all and re-sign him and where is his fit? And, you know, they're asking questions more about his future in the summer. It's like, well, let's just worry about that in the summer. Like, there's no point in trying to figure out how much he's worth right now when, you know, he still has enough time in the season. I mean, let's be real. In April, we were no, saying No, Kyle, that we need to know. We need to know no, no, what no. <laughs> is worth, what he should be paid right now. Well, I don't know, because in April, it was throw him the max, throw him the max, and at the beginning of the season, it was throw him the max, and now we're ending 2018. It's like, okay, don't even sign the guy. Like, let him walk. <laughs> Why pay him all this money? It's like there's no consistency, and I think that's the same thing with Chris Middleton. It's when he's bad, he's bad for a stretch. When he's good, he's good for a stretch. And I don't know what to make of it, but I think he's going to get out of it. And if he's going to have a slump now, fine. I'd, I'd rather him have a slump now than in April or May or June. Well, and Definitely. I mean, here's something else. I think I heard Zach Lowe say this on, on his podcast with Chris Herring, but he talked about, um, basically, he was talking about context kind of like Chris Middleton. And he was like, you know, honestly, the best case scenario that you're probably going to have with a guy who you're going to pay that much money is that he he just he literally just plays up to the contract or even like plays within like 10% of the contract, which is probably going to be the case. And I guess, you know, I guess it's a question then for Bucks fans, whether they think that that is worth it or not, if they want to sign someone to that much money, who does basically just playing up to the contract when, I mean, the, the guys who really help you and are de- generally able to help you win win championships are the guys that overperform their contract, which is certainly Giannis. I mean, if you like, look at what his, you know, the, say what you will about 538 but like they have like his his actual value for what his contract is i think it's like for this year's like 70 million or something or whatever which i mean is obviously because of the 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 scaled contracts in the nba you can't reach that point but i mean Giannis is far outperforming his contract so if you're able to do that and if 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 chris middleton is is playing up to his contract I guess you're sort of play, using the playing it with with the calculus that way, and then trying to determine whether that's worthwhile or not. And I, I mean, I think Chris Chris Middleton is a really valuable player. I think it'd be really hard to find someone to replace him, particularly in free agency. I think if they're going to do anything, they would probably have to try and do it in a trade somehow this season. But I think it is a little it is a little weird though that he's like technically in a in a in a contract year because we all presume he's gonna he's gonna opt out of that player option. Uh, but you know, typically when we see like these contract year players, it feels like they like really play up to a certain level. So it was weird to see Chris Middleton kind of be like going through this prolonged slump here, where maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's, he's, you know, maybe he was having trouble with that too. Maybe there's a little pressure there because he is. This is really going to be his one chance to make a lot of money. If Chris Middleton is truly a winner, he'll opt into that contract, and we'll see the <laughs> championships come. And I'm just going to say that, okay? I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> And he's going to close games too. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> Since Giannis can't close games. No, it's just. Oh my God. Riley Holland's over there. Yeah. Hello. Uh, it, it is. Um, you're right that it is weird because we assume like, oh, contract year, he's going to put on some crazy sets. And again, to start the year, it was like, okay, wow. Thank God he can. He's taking like <laughs> eight threes a game. Like everything looked to be okay. We're good to go. And I think a lot of the worries, both with the contract and the fact that, you know, we've changed expectations for what's possible this season. Like, I'm not sure if we can be like, Oh, we're definitely like, definitely not like final shoe wins, but I think there's a reality in which, you know, Riley. 
All right. Well, uh, Kyle, any closing thoughts on the Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton uh, thing before we do some quick previews of, of the games ahead? I think he'll be fine. He, as we've seen the last two games, he seems to be turning it around. And, you know, if him taking a couple tough shot express gets him going, that's totally fine. If there's a time for him to mess around and just like test stuff out to get back into a rhythm. This, these, this next stretch is going to be the time to do it other than maybe the Toronto game. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's, I think he'll be okay. I, I have faith that he will turn it around. Yeah, I do too. I think this is, I think this is just weirdly part of his process. And I mean, the guy, you know, you just hope that this doesn't happen in the playoffs. I mean, the guy balled out last year. So, uh, right. you know, hopefully, hopefully that'll be the same case this year and he'll pop out of this. And, you know, I mean, the other thing that I was, uh, this is just quick tangent before we do the previews is that, I mean, the interesting thing is I think we would, I think uh, maybe you're in agreement. Would you, do you think Eric Bledsoe has been the second best player for the Bucks this year? Easily. Yeah. Okay. All right. Me too. I think particularly because of his, his, his ability on both ends of the court defensively for sure he's showed an amazing propensity to get around screens which is so key to bud's defense and then offensively i think he's really played within himself and i, I mean i'm one of the guys who thinks that he should not you know he's he, he really in that sweet spot where his sweet spot is like maybe 12 shots a game and he's averaging i believe it's like the lowest um the lowest uh field goal attempts per game he's had in a couple years this year sorry i'm just pulling it up um, basketball reference here, but yeah, so he's at 11.8 field goal attempts per game this year um, in just a little fewer minutes. But I mean, the last, the the prior years, it was 13.4, 13.4, 15.7, 15.9, 12.9, 12.9. So basically the least since his third year in the league is what he's averaging this year, which is an interesting thing to say for our, our second best player, wouldn't you say? And then like looking at his last couple games, he's only had, um, you know, he's he's shot the ball, you know, he's only shot seven attempts against the the Knicks, eight against the Knicks the game before, 12, 9, 10. So, I mean, he had a stretch where he was he was doing pretty well then. But it, it's kind of interesting that, like, our, I mean, he even had a game against Chicago, right, where he, he only took three field goal attempts and the Bucks barely won that game. But it, it's kind of fascinating that, like, our, our presumed second best player is a guy who really doesn't seem to shoot that much. Which I think it's okay because when he's – is shooting he's picking his moments it's either a three or he's getting a layup so i think his shot selection has dramatically improved in that sense which i think is why his shot attempts are so low because he's not taking all those mid-rangers and i think maybe and when you have Giannis and Giannis can get to the hoop brooks able to shoot from 30 feet out you know you kind of have guys that are you know Giannis and brook are kind of more the ones that are going to take the higher amounts of shots just because they have the best looks and but I think when Eric Bledsoe has his moments, he picks them correctly. So I think that's why, in my opinion, he's been the second best player. That and his defense has been fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a, it's certainly a testament to him and um, his ability to adapt to to Bud's system that he's willing to cede some of these shots after being the man the last couple of years. I think I think that's certainly the, uh, really impressive by him. And it's and it's a contract year. I mean, you know, it's uh, he's this is his chance to make a lot of money. So I think it's really cool that. Um, he's willing to sort of give up some of those offensive counting stats that people seem to put so much faith in and really apply himself on the defensive end. Um, and so, I think it helps having a good coach. Yeah. For the I, first I, time in his career. Yeah, you're you're totally right. Uh, all right. Well, it seems like um, Riley has uh, abandoned us, which is 
it's it's tough for him and uh, i guess we'll just have to make up um what his record is for these his prediction is going to be for these next seven games so you and i can go through that after i run through these games here so we'll just make something up for him so i'll run through the games that we have going up here and then we'll make our predictions um okay so the bucks finish out uh, they have four more games on this homestand uh, against detroit on january 1st at seven against atlanta january 4th at 7 30 toronto january 5th at 7 30 then utah january 7th at seven o'clock then they go on three more three games on the road before we probably record again so they have a game at houston january 9th at seven o'clock excuse me at washington january 11th at sixth and at atlanta january 13th at 2 30 in the afternoon so uh Kyle, what uh, was your prediction for this group of of seven games coming up here? I really wanted to say six and one. I was really <laughs> feeling it for the longest time, but I have a bad feeling that Houston game is going to turn into a ridiculous Houston goes and hits like 25 threes. So that one, and then I think Toronto is going to squeak out a win. Unfortunately, I think, I don't know. I feel like this there's one this is one of those games where they'll figure it out and maybe make a couple adjustments. Maybe Serge Ibaka will continue hitting every shot, no demand. So I, I'm going to be pessimistic in my eyes and just go with five and two. I think the <laughs> Toronto and Houston games are gonna be a little bit they're gonna come up short. It's gonna be close, but I think they'll come up a little bit short. Yeah, I guessed five and two as well. Um I, I I'd kind of had similar leanings to you. I think that Houston game is going to be a lot of trouble. Uh, I think that that'll be a really fascinating test for, for Bud's defensive system. And then I, I could see them potentially drop into Toronto or I, I, I don't know. I think Utah has been such a, a mercurial team this year and their defense has been pretty poor, but um, I mean, they did, they, they laid the smack down uh, on the Knicks. And I mean, we know the Knicks are, are, pretty much a dumpster fire at this point but um you know I, I could see milwaukee potentially having a little bit of trouble if if, if donovan mitchell is, is, is balling out or something like that um so yeah I'm, I'm gonna guess five and two as well hopefully they take care of business against you know, the likes of detroit and atlanta and and washington because have have we faced washington yet this year i didn't think so nope no not yeah, yet well, they always they don't have john wall which might be a good thing <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, they, God, they love to talk trash to the Bucks too. I mean, they talk trash to everyone, but they've had so many dumb trash talking things to the Bucks these last few years. So I really hope that we just go in and just stomp them. Uh, Let's remember that Washington was claiming that no one was giving them the attention that they thought they deserved, being the seventh best team in the East. And right <laughs> I tell now, you what, they, I don't even know if I can give that title. Yeah, I tell you what, though, they have gotten plenty of attention this year uh, just for all the wrong reasons. So they can't really complain about that. Um, all right. So for Riley, what do you think? Maybe I bet I bet he'd be a little more pessimistic. I bet he'd go four and three. He's saying five and two. Actually. Oh, he is. Oh, did he write it in? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he messaged us. So he said five and two. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, sorry, Riley. I misquoted you there. All right. So Riley says five <laughs> and two. I think he thinks they're going to lose against um, Detroit. And Washington, I think that's I think that's what he's saying there. He thinks that John Luer is going to really ball out for Detroit, and uh, and Bradley Beal is going to sort of put on a show uh, against against the Bucks. I feel like that's what that's what Riley would say. You know, I was thinking I'd agree with the Detroit game. You know, New Year's hangover, right? But that right. I think he's also going to just be too too. I think he's going to say Utah is the game that they lose. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell going off and. I think that's a game he's going to pick. And Rudy Gobert 
you know, for some reason becoming the second coming of Olajuwon. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that as well. Well, John Luer, really oh. of all players. All right, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm out of here. All right, keep going, guys. Good. All right. Well, uh, well, that that's gonna do it. Thanks for that uh, final final proclamation, Riley. All right. Well, thank you again for tuning into the Brew Who podcast. Um, appreciate you guys uh, letting us go a little bit longer between recordings during the holidays. I hope everyone had some awesome holidays and you have a, a very safe but delightful New Year's. You enjoy some Bucks games on, on on New Year's Day, and make sure to follow us at Brew Hoop. Kyle's amazing tweeting over there, and then go to brewhoop.com. There's going to be lots of good stuff over there. Andrew Goodman has a piece on uh, DJ Wilson that's up, very pertinent to our conversation today, and then Mitchell Maurer, a very uh, nice conversation sparking piece um, about uh, are the Bucks Bucks are good, but are they good enough? And some of the uh, rumblings among the the fan base about wanting to make changes and, and that kind of stuff. So. Always great stuff over there. Tune into us on Brew Hoop. We'll be back again oh, in Adam, a couple weeks. Oh, go one ahead. One quick thing. Yeah, I want to give two shout outs. One to Southern Marxist 2, who gave us a five star review back in November and said these guys are knowledgeable and energetic and draw a solid base on SB Nation. And then also to Metal Girl Triple X, sounds like a bot. I'm sorry for not, who also gave us a five star review and said we deliver some hot takes and it's her favorite Bucks podcast. So shout out to you too, and shout out to the six other people that gave us five stars. Yeah, thank you everyone. It, they it means a lot. We really really appreciate it. So thank you Kyle for shouting them out, and uh, that's going to be it for this 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 episode. So talk to you again soon. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.